Ladies and gentlemen, coming soon, a podcast you've all been waiting for. The Movie Podcast to End All Movie Podcasts. A podcast that discusses and critiques the best of the best and the worst of the worst movies playing at a theater near you with a host whose opinions have been deemed as fact by your favorite fact checkers. And that's a fact. Without further ado, let me introduce you to the movie maestro, the tyrant of theater, the gumshoe of review, the man that makes theater employees and Hollywood execs shiver by his mere presence. Ladies and gentlemen, the judge, the jury, the sultan of cinema, Justin Hanson! Welcome to the Movie Wire. I bet all the listeners are wondering how to keep up with the movie wire. Everything is so hard with all the content out there, with all the new podcasts. Well, luckily, Newsly is a new audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. You can follow any topic as specific as you like, from sports, science, to Bitcoin. You can even follow a Kardashian. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you out loud. And guess what? The Movie Wire is now on Newsly as a featured podcast, and they have podcasts from over 50 countries. You can also get a one-month free premium subscription by typing in one of the Movie Wire's promo codes that will be listed in the podcast description. Stop scrolling, start listening, download Newsly today. Right, let's get down to business. Welcome to the Movie Wire. I'm your host, Justin Henson. Happy Movie Week for March 18th, 2022. This week, we will be reviewing the Disney Plus, supposedly entertaining, supposedly funny, starring Zach Braff and Gabriel Union, the remake of the remake, Cheaper by the Dozen. I will also be reviewing the Best Picture-nominated film, Belfast, and also nominated for Best Picture, Drive My Car. Want to know my judgment? Let's get into it. have a story to tell but what makes each one different is not how the story ends but rather the place where it begins holy god mama says if we went across the water they wouldn't understand the way we talk if they can't understand you and they're not listening. You know who you are, don't you? Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. Hey, buddy! Your mom's calling idiots! We're looking to cleanse the community a wee bit. You wouldn't want to be the old man out in this street. Touch my family and I'll kill you. Are we going to have to leave Belfast? We'll fight this together. This is it. This is what? This is war. Civil War. What do you want? I want my family with me. I want you. Really 
this is ours. We're getting killed. We can give these boys a better chance than we ever had. Written and directed by Kenneth Branagh, Belfast, August 15th, 1969, surrounded by an unpredictable violence and a growing danger. Nine-year-old Buddy finds himself confronted with the reality of a conflict set in Ireland. As the suffocating stronghold of increasing turmoil tightens around his once peaceful neighborhood, Buddy tries his best to understand, and his family is trying their best to understand and shield the family. The movie is based on some true story events based on Kenneth Branagh's life, in which you can tell with a lot of the details in this film. The movie is primarily black and white, which adds to the atmosphere of the film. It puts a primary focus on the characters. It gives us a sense of history and almost a dreamlike status. There is a moment in this film where the filmmakers represent a state of innocence, safety, and unity. In this scene, it is a moment that will stay with me for many times to come. In the very first episode of my podcast, I stated the importance of film to our culture, the experience of entering a theater, getting popcorn, but not only that, but more importantly, being in a group of people in that theater that are there for the same reason, the love of film, the love to be entertained, the love to have conversations around it. If I had a scene to fully represent what I said in that episode, I would relate it back to this scene in this movie. The scene involves Buddy and his family at the movie. The family goes to see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. The scene they show in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is in color, by the way, is a scene where the car is about to drive off the cliff. You see the audience in awe of this. They are on the edge of their seats. When the car drives off the cliff before the wings of the vehicle come out, the audience leans forward like they're on a ride, like they have never seen anything like it before. It's a sense of amazement at the special effects of this movie. Now let's zero in on Judy Dench, who plays Granny in the film, who gives a childhood state of giddiness. Watching Judy Dench react to this film, A Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, reminded me of why I love movies. It's just not that one part of the film. The film actively reminds us of things we take for granted now. It sends its message of family, hardship, struggle, conflict, and love in a subtle way. The filmmakers don't necessarily mean to make the audience understand how the characters felt in this movie, but adds a lot for the audience to relate to the family in their situation, but the emotions that they go through throughout the film. When the filmmakers do is use color in the film, when they do use it, it's very symbolic and it's smart to get the emotions tied up just like a nice bow. The cast in this film is in top form, but I want to focus specifically on Judi Dench. She is also nominated for Best Actress for the Academy Awards, and rightfully so. She is obviously a brilliant, brilliant in this movie. She portrays Buddy's grandmother, Granny. Dench gives a subtle but powerful performance as the grandmother, which a lot of us can relate to the definition of our own grandmothers. There is a scene in the movie where Buddy and Granny are on a bus and Buddy asks her a simple question. Granny replies, but doesn't necessarily answer the question, but with a rather positive grunt or a hmm, hmm. And then it cuts to the next scene. This scene amplifies how powerful the mere presence and acting style of Judy Dench. She gives us a lot to take in with something very simple because we feel it as an audience of her acceptance of the question. Her performance in this movie is one of the best of the year. If she doesn't come out with the award from the Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actress, I will be utterly surprised and shocked. The film surrounded by Buddy, played by Jude Hill, who also does a great job in this film. 
He builds a sense of innocence and curiosity. And I read a couple rumors, and it seems that they are true based on the performance we get. Kenneth Branagh used to roll the camera so that Jude Hill thought they were rehearsals to capture the innocence of the character. This film balances hardship and innocence very well. It sucks in the audience into not just the situation, but the psyche of the characters. This is one of the best films of the year and well deserves every one of the six Academy Awards it's nominated for. The film is nominated for Best Supporting Actress, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound, and of course, Best Picture. This is the one of the nominees that I agree with in every category that it's nominated for. I'm giving Belfast three and a half stars. It's a code red. Code okay. red, baby. Okay. We're late. We're late. Let's roll. Let's roll. I'm Zoe. DJ. Let's go. Arish. Up and at him. And this is Paul. Morning, Dave. Morning, Paul. We turned our two families into one. All right. Rise and shine. Wake up, Ella, or this video goes on your Instagram in three, two. Dad, no. Touch me. Lose a finger. Good morning to you, too. Ta-da! Luna, strong choice. Suggestion. Take off one thing. Solid advice. Tires broke again. How did you get down here so fast? Laundry shoes. Let's go, let's go, let's go. We're not a cult. But we're weird. We're one of a kind all the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I really feel like there were a few extra children in there. I didn't recognize some of them. We're the Bakers. Ten kids and no nanny. Wait, you have ten kids? Shockingly, I enjoy being with my kids. I do too. I do too, yeah. I do too. <laughs> you guys are funny. No, you Go to your room. But don't you want to do a TikTok dance with us? Because we're so irresistibly adorable. You're not even doing it right. You have to clap the back of the hands and then throw. You're embarrassing the family. Go to your room. Oh, Lord, give me strength. It's important to show the kids that we're a united front. Who invited the Jackson 9? If y'all looking for Disneyland, you made a wrong turn. Family has each other's back. Oh my god, everyone's looking at us. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, I can't move. I know. I, I know. can't move. Thanks for being so average and relatable, Paul, with average looks and ordinary body. Oh. Cool. What are you guys playing? Drag race. Fun. I love RuPaul. So you guys weren't having a Fast and Furious style race for money? Whoa. I just realized we're not smarter than you. Disney is at it again with yet another remake following their awful remake of Home Alone. Home Sweet Home Alone. One would say learn from your mistakes and grow from your mistakes. Disney has somewhat grown of an ego becoming more of a formula to take recognizable titles and just pump them out to get people on their own streaming platform. I may be a little cynical here, but there is no way not one writer, not one filmmaker in the making of this film stopped and said, hey guys, this movie kind of sucks. The remakes going into their streaming platform are going in the completely wrong direction, to the point they're obviously just pumping money out to the titles of a film not to create a good film. You can tell by now I hated Hated, hated, hated this movie. This mo- And I'm going to get a little passionate here. This movie, I did not just hate. It made me 
furious on how bad it is, not just for the fact of overall filmmaking, but for the mere attempt at it. This must be the laziest film I have ever seen. The film stars two very likable stars, Gabrielle Union as Zoe Baker and Zach Braff as Paul Baker. The movie follows the same format as the original film from the 1950s and the 2003 version. The only difference is now it follows a new mixed family of 12 as they try to manage a hectic home while dealing with up-to-date issues of the times. This time around, in difference to the two prior films and one sequel, is that this one has no messaging, no moral, no point. The kids, of course, outnumber Zach Braff and Gabriel Union in the household. As sad as it is to say in a movie that's full of kids, I struggled to find one of the kids to like in the film. The closest I came was a young Andre Robinson who plays DJ. He starts to kind of grow on you about the second half of the movie. But the shame was that by the end of the movie, just like everything else, it's just a letdown in the material that's given to him. Unlike his predecessors, the writer set up the family for success instead of challenges. Zach Braff is a restaurant owner who creates a spicy, sweet, savory sauce determined by what you put on it. This is what they came up with. This is what the writers came up with. How does that even make sense? This can't be the best these three talented writers came up with. The movie is written by Kenya Barris and Jennifer Rice Gunzik, who are responsible for famous sitcoms such as Blackish and some game shows called The Game. Now, they you can tell they had trouble transitioning the sitcom into a major motion picture because you can tell in the film it is very rushed, very in your face, very hectic, not in a good way. So you but you still can't tell me this is the best these writers can do, especially when the stakes are higher when working with a team like Disney. The movie misses the mark. What the others had better success over was the moral, the messaging, and even a little somatic fluff, family fluff, showing a little chaos with what it takes to run a household of 12 kids. Not only that, but 12 kids mixed from all different families and homes. Now, I can forgive kind of the easy scenarios of the movie here and there. Where I can't forgive is the messaging of this movie, is the laziness from it. There are some subtle race situations and messaging throughout the movie, when I say subtle, let me let me clarify this. This is a nice way of me saying they throw it in the film like it's product placement and ignore the challenges of it. If you're going to throw this topic into a movie, this family must face enough to explore it. And maybe a teachable point of view somewhere in there, somewhere to open up a dialogue with families at the end of it. But literally, it's all sudden throughout the movie. It has no point being in it. That's why it feels like product placement. It is absolutely pointless in this movie. At a time we were in with families struggling and racism, it's a big topic within our country. This is where it was a missed opportunity to be a film that sends an open conversation message to families. This family surely has real struggles. Let's look at let's look at kind of the struggles this family has. I mean, for example, the father needs to get home to his family. What does he do? Pay for a private jet. Somebody offers you millions of dollars to serve soup at your breakfast restaurant. Those are real struggles in the nowadays. Every time the bakers are put up into a situation that can lead to some meaningful conflict, some meaning, meaningful uh, struggles, they absolutely blow it. Now, I can only imagine at the writing table. This is what it reminds me of. This reminds me of 
a boss that comes in yelling at you, telling you you're doing a horrible job, then hands you work that he's supposed to be doing. And then when he walks out, you give him the middle finger and you do the work, turn it into him. Hopefully he doesn't see the crap job that you did before he turns it into his boss. That's what it reminds me of, of what the writers did with this. I wish I could go back in time to cancel my Disney subscription so I can avoid this movie at all costs. This movie had so many issues that completely misses the mark, and unlike its predecessors that also, don't get me wrong, also had its issues, but at least the originals understands its audience to an extent and doesn't treat the audience like they're complete morons. This, I warn you, avoid at all costs. I'm giving it zero stars. Hello everyone, my name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for the cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. And finally, we have the last Best Picture nominated film that I'm going to review on the show, Drive My Car, based on the 2014 short story of the same name. Drive My Car is about Yusaki Kafuku, played by Hindoshi Nishima, a renowned stage actor and director. He receives an offer to direct a production of Uncle Vanya at a theater festival in Hiroshima, two years after his wife's unexpected death. He then meets Misaki Watari, played by Tokomura, a young woman assigned by the festival to chauffeur him in his beloved Red Saab 900. As the production premiere approaches, tensions mount among the cast and crew, not between Yusaki and Koshi a handsome TV star who shares an unwelcome connection to Yusaki's late wife. Forced to confront painful truth raised from his past, Yusaki begins with the help of his driver, too facing the haunting mysteries his wife left behind. The movie is indeed a beautifully shot film, carefully taking its time to explore the characters, but at times it feels a little confused on where it wants to go. The film has a runtime of close to three hours, I found myself pondering during certain scenes why they were even in there in the first place. It's almost you can feel that either the writers had a bit of a writer's block and added some filler to the script to hopefully encourage them to find other ideas on where it wants to go, or the director had a little bit of block and added things in the film that were on camera that looked pretty, but didn't need to add anything for the progression of the film. In the first half of the film, we find all the characters intriguing, and it makes the audience look forward to where it's going to go. The second half of the movie almost plays like a different movie. During the first and second acts, their tension is built between the characters, and it is a nice balanced crescendo of dialogue between the characters to suck the audience in into the film. When we get into the second half of the movie is where it starts to feel like the filmmakers didn't know where to go with it, which makes the balance of the movie feel off. However, 
The cast does a great job making their roles likable. We still want to see what happens next in the film. The movie is nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director, Best International Feature Film, and Best Picture. The categories it's nominated for kind of puzzles me. I might be way off base on this film, so I decided to go back and watch it again. The result I received after the second viewing, unlike some of the other nominations, didn't change my opinion. It made it stronger. I must be missing something that the Academy is seeing, but hey, here's the deal. I know what I like, and I know what doesn't fit as a movie and as a moviegoer. In no way am I saying this movie is bad. This film does a great job with the character's development, and we generally find interest in these characters. The film is also beautifully shot using very simple shooting methods and makes the characters the focus, not the pretty scenic shots. The film is a great conversation piece about pain, redemption, grief, and anger. It does sum a lot up with this nice, tied bow towards the end, but for a three-hour runtime, by the end, I felt a little let down. The movie gets high marks for the character development and the chemistry from all the characters, but its downfall is that it relies too much of the characters to carry the film, and not the writing or direction. I'm giving Drive My Car a solid three stars. It is time now to do our after credits trailer sneak peek. First up is the hatching about a young gymnast who tries desperately to please her demanding mother discovers a strange egg. She hides it, keeps it warm, but when it hatches, what emerges shocks them all. Now this trailer is absolutely bonkers. I can't wait for this one. It looks thrilling. It looks terrifying. It looks gruesome. It is slated for April 29th, 2022, so it's just around the corner. I can't wait for this one. Based on the trailer, I'm going to score it a three and a half out of four. Hope it doesn't disappoint. Can't wait for that one. Next up is going to be the new remake, I think. Remake or sequel. It's Eraser Reborn, based on the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Eraser. It is... Based on U.S. Marshal Mason's Pollard, who is specialized in engineering the fake deaths of witnesses that leaves no trace of their existence. I would have had no clue what this movie was going to be about until I read the IMDb trailer just now. The trailer is utterly confusing, looks very generic, and adds no originality to the brilliant, action-packed Arnold Schwarzenegger original. I score this a 1 out of 4. Not looking forward to this one. Most likely it's going straight to streaming. I can't imagine any theatrical release for this piece of crap. So skip that one. I can already tell you right now. Now, with that said, we are coming to the end of our show. I want to thank everybody for joining us on the Movie Wire. Again, I am your host, Justin Henson. I want to thank everybody for joining me today on this episode. We will be back this week with another special episode right before the Academy Awards, where I'll be giving my predictions, my picks, and some Oscar blow-off. Some movies deserve to be a nominee for the Academy Awards, but we're just shown no respect this year. You'll get my opinion on that in the next couple of days. Up until that, please review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And don't forget to follow us on my Instagram and Twitter at MovieWireShow. Pop us an email at themoviewireshow at gmail.com with any questions. If you want to be a guest on the show, if you want to give me some feedback, if you want to me to review a particular movie that piques your curiosity anything you absolutely want in the meantime until we see you in the next couple of days support your local movie theaters and we will see you at the movies 
verdict has been made on this episode of The Movie Wire by your host, Justin Hansen. He thanks you for listening to the show. You can follow Justin on Instagram and Twitter at MovieWireShow or visit his website, www.themoviewire.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Until next time, we will see you at the movies. TheMovieWire.com